Happy October, film fans. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Today, we kick off our brand new mini series entitled Hollow Thanksmas. In October, we're going to do three Halloween movies. In November, we're going to do three Thanksgiving movies. And in Christmas, we're going to do three Christmas movies to talk about how the holiday spirit is translated onto the big screen. And today we're kicking it off with Sullivan Harris and I. We find a strange invitation on the street that changes our lives forever. That's right. It's 2007's Murder Party. All right, to kick off the series, I had to have... El Jefe, Sullivan Harris on. And I'm not fat. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> um, so you picked Murder Party, a movie that I had never heard of until um, you suggested it to me. I heard of the director, um, Jeremy Solnier, um, before. But tell me how you found this movie. Okay. Well, you remember a little fella named Anton Yelchin? Yes. So you ever, you, you know, when an actor dies, you get that like pit in your stomach, like especially an actor that you love. Yes, very much And so. um, you just go through and you watch all their movies. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was doing. And uh, one of his more recent movies is Green Room. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is directed by Jeremy Sol- Solnier, I think is how you pronounce his name. Uh, and I loved it. So I was like, holy shit. It just had like this very uh, strange mix of like hyper-realism uh, and hyper violence, but it was like all for a purpose. And I was like, this dude's really got some things to say. Mm-hmm. So I just went back through his filmography. Uh, he did Blue Ruin before that, which is another fantastic movie. Uh, and then Murder Party was his first movie ever. So I was just doing like a Jeremy Solnier watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that was his first movie. So that's why I watched it. Yeah. Um, and I ended up watching it with my girlfriend. <laughs> And it's bizarre because it's nothing like his other movies. Really? Like, at all. Um, have you seen any of his other movies? I actually haven't. I've been meaning to watch Blue Ruin, but I have yet I to thought, get around. Didn't you see Hold the Night? No. Oh, Hold I the thought, Dark? I remembered you not liking that. No, I didn't. I heard people didn't like it, but I have actually not seen it, so I can't Maybe wait. Maybe it was enough. Heather who didn't like that. My girlfriend, Heather. Hi, Heather. <laughs> Do I remind you of Heather? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're both hot, and I love you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so this was my first time seeing it, and the, so we wanted to do movies that were centered around the holiday, because the thing about Halloween, uh, and as opposed to, like, the other holidays, like Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, most people just watch, like, regular horror movies, like, around this time. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are some titles that you usually watch around Halloween? Halloween, what do I watch? I watch Rocky Horror, mm-hmm. which doesn't take place on Halloween. Right. And doesn't really have anything to do with Halloween. Yeah. I watch... Um, I don't know, yeah, just general horror movies. Mm-hmm. Me and my girlfriend will just like go to the horror section of Netflix and just find something that looks interesting. And it usually, I think we watched Green Room on Halloween, actually. Really? So we're like, we need something scary. Right. Um, but yeah, so I never really watch anything that's connected to Halloween intrinsically, which is why I, I wanted to do that specifically for this series, is right. do movies that like take place on the holiday. Um, because Halloween especially, you know, it has a vibe to it. Yeah. When movies take place during Halloween, there's like something that is added to it that you don't have anywhere else. Like think of even movies like E.T. has a scene 
during Halloween. Right. And how much does that vibe of just like the kids walking around in their costumes, the autumn leaves falling down, how much does that add to that movie? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like because it's pretty easy to capture that vibe and just in horror movies in general, like mm-hmm. you always feel encapsulated and there's always mm-hmm. like, there's something like right around the corner. It like, you know, it gets the creepy vibe. And yeah, I, there's this feeling of, and I love any movie that has a Halloween night sequence is great because you have uh, like your characters walking around at night with everyone walking around in their costumes and you're surrounded by people. But at the same time, there's like this feeling of dread and this feeling of loneliness because everyone's behind masks um, like if something horrifying is happening, like a serial killer running around, no one's going to believe that it's actually happening because people are pulling pranks and it's just like this bizarre time. Right. Yeah. So it's perfect for a horror movie. And it feels completely different. Like the holiday itself feels just so separate from the rest of the year and even mm-hmm. the, the rest of the month. It's just... Because most holidays are about happy. Yeah, it's like exactly. be happy, have a good time. Mm-hmm. But also, I feel like I was talking to someone recently. I feel like it's the one that's most centered around your friends. It's like you have a party with your friends. You dress yeah. up as like, um, you know, just anything you want, like famous movie character mm-hmm. or like creature or you know something like that. But that's one thing that this movie wanted to highlight is that feeling of getting together, you know, with your friends and having like that party mm-hmm. and you know just spending the year of just or the night of just complete scares together in the most crazy way possible. And this movie is crazy. It's so wild. Wait, before we get into the movie, though, Mm -hmm. I have to talk about So I I bought this on DVD, Mm -hmm. specifically so I could listen to the director's commentary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it juicy? It was pretty good. It's with uh, Jeremy Saulnier and um, Macon Blair is there, and uh, Chris Schnapp, I think his name is, who Mm -hmm. played the main guy in the movie. Um... It's a funny commentary. Yeah. The funny dudes. I'm sure they have a lot of fun. Yeah. But we, uh, we. So I bought the movie on DVD and my DVD player, I lost the remote. Oh no. So I can't skip past the previews. Um, and I feel like we could do a whole fucking episode just on the previews. Oh my God. That played before this movie. I'm trying to find the name of it because I'd never heard of the first preview that played before. I'm on my, Mila Kunis's, uh, Wikipedia page right now, and she doesn't have a filmography section, so this isn't helping me at all. Uh, who's the guy? Who's Napoleon Dynamite? John Heater. John Heater. He was in this movie. Was it School you know for Scoundrels? No, but already this movie had John Heater and Mila Kunis. Wow. Yeah. Have you heard of it? <laughs> no. I yeah. Mean, me when either. you said when you said Mila Kunis, the other one that came out in two thousand seven was Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, you know who else this movie has? Hmm. Rutger Hauer. He really? was in the trailer too. Um. Let's see. It was called. Wasn't Blades of Glory. Moving McAllister. Have you ever heard of fucking Moving McAllister? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so first of all, this trailer was like one of those ones where it's like, in a world <laughs> where you are a lawyer and you're trying to get a job with your boss. <laughs> um, it, it's fucking. So it's this dude, Ben Gorley. All right. Have you seen this dude? Yeah. Right in the middle uh, of the yeah. He, I was, I was going to assume you said no. Because he hasn't been in anything since. He hasn't made anything since. He looks since. familiar. But he wrote this movie like specifically so he could star in it. Um, and it's just about like he's a lawyer. Rucker Hauer's his boss. His Rucker Hauer's daughter is Mila Kunis. And he has to like drive Rucker Hauer's trailer full of his things across the country because Rucker Hauer is moving and Mila Kunis comes along. And it's just the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It yeah. stressed me out so much <laughs> before I watched this movie. He looks like Devin Sawa, the guy from Final, like Sawa. <laughs> Final Destination, doesn't I think he? I like, thought he was Devin yeah. Sawa when the trailer first came on. Um, 
Yeah, I guess I didn't really have a point there, but everyone go watch the trailer for Moving McAllister because it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but it was that, and then like another rom-com trailer. So first of all, two rom-coms yeah. trailers before Murder, Murder Party. Party. yeah, And then a trailer for like an Asian kung fu crime boss movie. Called it, like Exiled or something. Oh, I was I thinking. Never I was of. thinking Bulletproof Monk, but <laughs> no. Oh, God. But it just put me in such a mood before I sat down. Yeah, none for of this those rewatch. Mo- none of those movies really scream murder party. Scream that they would be associated with murder party. You know, no. <laughs> so strange. I didn't even think that they would have trailers before. There's no like studio logos before this movie starts. No. <laughs> I didn't know it was associated with any other movie. That's funny. Um, so when did you, um, on your first watch of this... Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to talk about the movie? Yeah. I <laughs> just listened to me scream about the previews. Then we talk about previews for like other movies. But um, the So when you first watched this, mm-hmm. what was your initial reaction? How many times have you seen it now? This is probably my third time watching it, I oh, think. Okay. Yeah, so I haven't seen it that much. But. Okay. Okay. So the first watch... What yeah. was that experience like, and how has it changed? Bizarre. Yeah. Because like I said, Jeremy uh, Sonier, he's like, this isn't his like normal type of movie. Like, Hold the Dark uh, and Blue Ruin and Green Room are all these hyper-violent thrillers that like deal with the nature of humanity and like what it means to be a good person versus like a bad person. Like they're dark movies. Right. Uh, like they're a revenge thriller, a neo-Nazi thriller, and uh, a, like crime thriller, basically. Right. And so coming into this movie and like sitting down and realizing right off the bat, this is like a comedy. Yeah. Uh, was very bizarre. But the movie starts out with just like kind of shots around this town mm-hmm. uh, on Halloween night. Um, so like already just like very weird tonally. Yeah. And um, which they shot before they even finished the script. Right. They shot it a year yeah. before <laughs> they shot anything else. But I've been so in the commentary, he talked they talked about how um so I don't know, how much do you know about like Lab of Horror, the guys that made this? Not a lot, but I just read like that they were like the troop, like because they're like an actual group. Mm-hmm. That that's pretty much it. And then they were just surrounded by this movie. So they uh it's like Jeremy Sonier and Megan Blair and Chris Schnapp, and then also the dude who plays like the photographer guy. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name in the movie. I think Peter, maybe. Peter, that sounds right. Um, and uh, the guy who plays Bill, they were, all grew up together, like went to high school together, went to middle <laughs> school together, and from middle school were making movies, like pretty much nonstop. Uh, they talk about in the bonus features for this, like the making of how for school assignments, um, video is such a novelty thing. And since they were able to do it, their teachers are basically like, yeah, instead of writing an essay, you can make a movie. Yeah. And so they literally, just these kids nonstop throughout their childhood, were just making movies for class, outside of class. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of them focused on like special effects work, like uh, blood, like gunshots and like shooting out blood packages from their stomachs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, so they're all good friends, uh, back in, I don't know, it's probably like the Mm eighties and this movie was basically them being like, uh, we've spent the last, like we're in our thirties now. We've spent the last 10 years just like trying to go to producers, trying to get our scripts financed, this and that and this, uh, we haven't gotten anything. And this movie was just them sitting down and being like, if we don't make something now, we're never going to make something. Right. Um, and so they just themselves produced this movie, 
all the cast is just this group of friends and like maybe one or two people outside the group of friends who they brought in. All the crew is within their circle of friends. Like there's not really any professionals on the movie mm-hmm. and they just made it. Yeah. Like from the grounds up with their own two hands, with no financing, they just made it. And you definitely get that feeling. Like as I was watching, I was like, this definitely feels like a no budget um, you know, first feature mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a, in a negative way, but you kind of get that feeling like while I was watching it, this is one thing that I really appreciate about the movie is that like for, just from a film school perspective and not like film school in the snobby analytical way, but just the, the process of going through like first finding yourself as an artist and making your first projects like the short mm-hmm. films, then maybe if you get the chance to make a feature, you can see the um, the inklings of Jeremy Sonier's voice mm-hmm. and you can tell that they, first of all, they had a lot of fun making it it, mm-hmm. it it seems like something that like I know people that I went to school with who would make something of this nature. Mm-hmm. It like is very clearly made in 2007. You know, the, with the camcorders and the cell phones. Yeah. Um. And you know the and it's shot on like VHS too. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which gives it like a very 2007's look. Yeah. And it, they also like try and stretch that runtime, which is something we'll get into. But like you can tell <laughs> that they do. you can tell they um it, it, they they had like. A, very little like resources to do, but they mm-hmm. made the best of what they had, yeah. and you can tell they really enjoyed doing it. And that that aspect of it, because I mean, like that's kind of the background that we come from. You know, we that's yeah. how we met in in college and making films and really just trying our hardest to, you know, push through the creative process. And the fact that this movie got made, I mean, I'm I, like they should be proud of that, you know. And I uh, and they are they are very mm-hmm. proud of it. Uh, they have been very big heads about it, which yeah. is why the commentary was so funny. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. It's yeah. like jokingly big heads. But mm-hmm. the point I was trying to get to there is like, yeah, because you and I are in that stage right now yeah. where we're like, hell yeah, we're going to make something. And we've been saying that for the past three years yeah. and we haven't made anything yet. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But uh, Jeremy Sonier in this uh, commentary, he was saying that the reason he shot that first footage like a year before they even had a finished script was because he was just like, I need to film something. Mm-hmm. I need to just start this. Right. Because if we start it, we have to finish it. Like That's just who he is. So he knew that if he filmed that opening sequence, even if it really didn't have much to do with the rest of the movie, he knew like that would be enough to just like kick everyone's asses into gear and just actually start making the thing and stop talking about it. Because I think they were actually trying to get it financed mm-hmm. through producers for a while. And in the meantime, they made like an actually produced short film yeah, called like Crab Walk or something. Nice. I, I did not watch it. Um, but yeah, they... Did that, and then they're just like, it's do or die, let's just make a movie. And they did. And it's cool to see, like, it's very inspiring. Yeah. Because obviously, people took note of it. Obviously, Jeremy Sonier had a Netflix deal. Mm -hmm. Like, he's gotten to that point. Uh, Macon Blair has had a very good acting career. And uh, I just, what did he direct? He directed something. He did. I don't know here. I'll look it up. Is it Tucker and Dale? Did he direct Tucker and Dale? I'm not sure. Here, let me me look it up. He directed something that I like a lot. Murder party. I also just like make on Blair a lot. Is he? What was? Who did he play in the movie? What was he's his the name? guy with the Wolfman. The, the guy with the Wolfman. And he's okay. named Make on. Okay, we'll, in the movie. We'll we'll get to him. We will. Because um, <laughs> I love him. Make Make on Blair. Okay, here we go. Uh, he was also in. Uh, oh, he direct, Oh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Was oh, the movie. Duh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also on Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's before we get into the critical breakdown, I want to ask I, just about Halloween in general. What is your relationship to the to the holiday and just the time of year? Like, what are some traditions that you may have? Like, what does the holiday mean to you? It's always been my favorite. Me too. 
Oh, and I think it's a lot of people's favorite because mm-hmm. it's just like the most fun holiday, right? Yeah. You get to dress up. Like you said, it's more about seeing friends than it is about seeing family. Right. Pff, family, right? Yeah. <laughs> we already have three holidays with our families, right? <laughs> give me give me one where I can just dick around with my friends. Mm-hmm. But I love the autumn vibe. Like you looking at me now, I got my sweaters out. Right. Uh, it's, t- it's sweater time. Mm-hmm. Love that shit. Um, I pretty much watch Rocky Horror every year. That's a big thing. I like to go see it in theaters when I can. Um, that's pretty much my only tradition. Uh, carving pumpkins every year. Like, it's just a good vibe. Yeah. And it, I think it also just brings on, like, once the season change, it, like, kind of automatically gets in, mm-hmm. like, uh, Halloween spirit kicks into high gear when October starts to roll yeah. around, you know? so. And I know a lot of people talk about seasonal depression around this time. They get seasonal depression. Mm-hmm. I have the opposite problem where I get seasonal creative anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> like the second the leaves start changing color and like Halloween starts rolling around, my mind just starts going at like 300 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but Halloween just like fills me with so much creative juice. Yeah. I have like so many Halloween stories yeah. just <laughs> bumping around in my head 24-7. Um, and it stresses me out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the best time of year and they're like, anything can happen. And mm-hmm. it is, I mean, it is kind of a transitional period into, uh, later into winter, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's my favorite holiday too. I mean, the tr- traditions always like go to Halloween parties and, you know, we have mm-hmm. decorations that we put up around the house. I mean, the shining and scream are two that I always watch, um, around, around this time, but yeah, finding the new horror movies or if there's, um, you know, just, you know, yeah, like finding ones that I necessarily didn't attribute initially with Halloween or mm-hmm. um, like making new traditions. I feel like that's like Halloween is a holiday that can become like you can pick up new traditions each year. It evolves over time. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, it's, it's just as or centered around scares, but it, it just feels so good. Like mm-hmm. I, I just love October and I love fall. And I, I do think that this movie does capture that feeling like pretty well because it's just it's just an hour in uh, in these people's lives on on Halloween, mm-hmm. and you can feel it. All right, let's get into the critical breakdown of this. Sure, movie. let's do it. So I have a lot to say about this movie, uh, and it's 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 a very interesting movie. Um, I, I feel like I have maybe I'm a little bit more 50-50 on it than you are, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear what you say. Um, the first thing that kind of struck me about this, like just from the intro and the guy walking around and um, just getting the feeling of his, you know, kind of just boring life, mm-hmm. it, I was kind of getting a Goosebumps vibe from it. I think that oh, also yeah, has to do, sure. I think that also has to do with the, um, like the low budget camera. Shot on tape. Yeah, yeah. shot on tape kind of feel. Um, very small, like minimal actors. Yeah, the synthy music going on. Yeah, yeah. Which was made by uh, Macon Blair's little little brothers. Oh, they wow. did the soundtrack for this. That's cool. They're yeah. basically told to rip off Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, they totally they did. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like it. Um, um, but that like synth, that very synthy, like I don't think there's a real instrument in its score. It, that is like perfectly in line with the Goosebumps TV show. Yeah, and just like the setup of it is like okay, it's just this random guy is alone on Halloween, and then an invitation for this murder party just kind of flickers mm-hmm. down the street into his, you know, like right into his hands, and he's like, oh. I'll go to that. Yeah. Like that feels like a total goosebumps plot, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Like yeah. you just and like that, like in and of itself, kind of made me because I was a big goosebumps fan as a kid. So that made me uh, kind of feel nostalgic in a way. And I was like, all right, let's go. Uh, and then the movie went on for another ten minutes. <laughs> 
and it was yeah. really slow. It was like, and I understand like the. I re- wrote in my notes very long credits. Like that credit the, sequence yeah. is very long. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and is probably what pushed them into a feature length runtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the, I understand it's important to kind of establish at first. This guy is, you know, he's alone. He has just kind of this boring humdrum life. He doesn't mm-hmm. like Halloween is clearly not like super special to him. He just puts out a bowl of candy corn and is, has his cat Sir Lance a lot. No, listen. <laughs> I wrote down this too. Candy corn meal, I relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. You just big- pour a bowl of candy, <laughs> sit down on your couch, eat yeah. that for dinner. I relate to that. <laughs> I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> you see, because everything in this intro, just like I instantly am just completely endeared to this character. Mm-hmm. Another thing I wrote down was uh, not moving the cat. Uh, yeah. Kind of acts as the save the cat in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, just he's so fucking passive yeah. about his life. Um, that he just doesn't even pick the cat up and set it on the ground. He just like like Sir Lancelot, please move. Yeah, and then the cat doesn't. He's like, all right. Yeah, I mean and he, that's what like kicks him off into this whole thing. Yeah, it's just that unwillingness to even move a cat. Um, but it's kind of endearing uh, because you know the cat's comfy. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's very clear he doesn't really have any agency in his life, and that's the cool thing about about him is that he does end up having an arc like that and a very minimal arc. very very well, and they, but they try with like yeah. they try with the pills and mm-hmm. i don't really like that but like the yeah the fact that he ends up like trying to escape and like taking the lives into his own hands is interesting but like it just is but then after that 10 minute mark once he actually gets to the murder party mm-hmm. then it kicks in and yeah. I'm like, yes, let's go. All right. But that's the thing with the pacing is that like, okay, that first 10 minutes is pretty slow. Then the next like 20 minutes mm-hmm. are like really like dope. Like, yeah. all right, let's go. Let's go. And I really enjoy the stuff, um, like the montage stuff when he's going to the party, mm-hmm. like walking through the streets of New York in the night with all the people walking around in their costumes. Yeah. Like I said, I love that shit. Yeah. I always do. Um, the scene where like the dude is just rapping at him on the subway yeah. is really funny. <laughs> just um, seems so uncomfortable. <laughs> but this movie, it's so bizarre because you really have no idea what it is yeah. until that like 25 minute mark. Mm-hmm. Um, like up until then, it's kind of just nothing. Right, yeah. Um, which is just like a clear like this. these are first time filmmakers type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really know how to intro it too well, but it's still like engaging. Mm-hmm. Like the camera's put in the right place. Um, yeah, it's I mean, moving it, in interesting ways. Like, like it doesn't, it doesn't look, things. it doesn't look bad. Yeah. Like that's like, yeah, all the shots are composed like pretty well. Um, and, you know, like we said that the, even though it's shot on videotape, it doesn't look like too, mm-hmm. like too bad. You know, it's not like, it's not like the tape was like run through the dishwasher and yeah. like all the fuzz is like coming in. But it, yeah, I mean, it still looks good. But then like once, yeah, once the um, the uh, the one guy like raises the axe and gets caught on the light, mm-hmm. then like it really picks up. And that's when I think the comedy starts because at first you kind of think like as it was going on, I was thinking like, is this trying to say something? And then I was like, oh no, this is just supposed yeah. to be completely fun. Like it's this just is, entertaining. And it's also not... It's very self-aware and it doesn't take itself too seriously, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate because I mean that's the other thing. I think it was a good idea for them to um, <laughs> put that the main characters are almost these avant-garde artists, and they're mm-hmm. do- that, that's the whole purpose. The purpose of this murder party is to do it for art, yeah, and. They're all their own snobby like artists in their own right, and it's kind of it's pretty funny like the fact that yeah. they do that because you know then it puts in like oh you know it's murder but oh, I love the intention behind it like mm-hmm. that's really funny like that works I I like that position yeah that's um, kind of the 
only commentary this movie made. Yeah. It was like that commentary on artists and how they perceive art um, and like what is art and what isn't art. And it's not, it's delved into a lot, but it's delved into very plainly. Like nothing's hidden under the sheets. Like it's all kind of just said out loud. Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole, yeah. That, I mean, that's why like, like analyze this takes like five seconds. It, there's not really mm-hmm. any commentary there, but like, it's almost as like they said, okay, you know how like there are artists who are really trying to be serious and like take their craft like to the next level and like be edgy and put out there. Mm-hmm. And the other guy was like, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, why don't we make fun of that? Because yeah. that's what they're doing, and it's mm-hmm. great. Like the whole, uh, like the whole thing with the uh, with Alexander and his grant money, and like yeah. that's like they do a really good job also of like playing with extremes because like this is. You know, kind of a life or death situation, mm-hmm. but it's wrapped around just these artists trying to get grant money from yeah. this, you know, Joe Schmo, mm-hmm. and it just seems like no stakes at that point. But obviously, to uh, what Chris, the guy who's tied up, I think yeah. is his name. It's like I'm going to die, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I love uh, when you first like meet all the characters, and they like have captured Chris, and he's tied up. Um, and they're all just like talking about murdering him as if it's like debating whether or not they should have an extra slice of cake at dessert. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> they don't talk about anything as if they're stakes. They just talk about it as if it's a silly art project. Right. Yeah. Which exactly. is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all trying to take control of it. Like think about how many times you've had to do a group project for school. It's like everyone's trying to take like control mm-hmm. and none of their ideas match together. Yeah, like we can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> any movie set you and I have been on in anything, it's like all these people with all these different ideas and none of them make sense. Yeah. And they're all stupid. <laughs> and like to a certain degree, our ideas are equally as stupid. Right. And it's, just yeah. like, <laughs> and it's like, that's what art is. And to the person who is like sitting there, who like you can even think of Chris as like the actor in the movie on like a film set. Mm-hmm. Like if we're talking about our experiences, who's just like sitting there waiting to be told what to do. Right, exactly. And all yeah. these people are just like arguing over nonsense. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's very good at translating that uh kind of like snooty artist vibe mm-hmm. that we've all, you know, done. Yeah, for been sure. a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that every character kind of has their own uh, different energy. Um, like, you know, Lexi's kind of like one of the, like really giving the most energy out mm-hmm. of out of them. Um, Peter almost seems like he's kind of fed up with it. Like the, the yeah. photography guy, he just wants to get the get the photo and mm-hmm. he brings in the assistant later. Um, there's uh, what's the the guy with Macon. the Macon Blair. Yeah. yeah. He's just clearly wants to fuck Lexi. Yeah. He's he was my least favorite, if I'm being honest. I, th- really? I think they just oh, I think it was on. just like later on, I liked him because of like what he kind of turns into. I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. But like he, they just, I think they leaned too much into the simp vibe. Like that's all that I was yeah. getting from it. Was kind okay. of a, like particularly when they're telling stories and he like the popsicle stick thing is funny, but it's like the oh my god, thing, stick thing is hilarious. <laughs> you remember but, that time yeah. <laughs> when we went out to the thing and we had ice cream? I wish it was like only that though. Like, I wish it was, like, just that line mm-hmm. almost because, like, that is a very funny joke and just the yeah. visual thing and they don't mention it and then they just move on to, like, the next thing. But, like, con- saying, like, he continually brings up, like, I love Lexi, mm-hmm. I love Lexi, I love Le-. Like, it's, like, it's almost a lot. But I like that joke. And um, and the and then Alexander and his fucking Russian drug dealer, like, they <laughs> come in and they're just, like, they're playing into those stereotypes, like, mm-hmm. so hard. And, like, what's the... <laughs> What is the Russian guy's like other job? He works at like a bakery or something like oh, that. Oh, it's a pierogi shop. Pierogi shop. Yeah. He's like, and Lexi's like, so what's it like being a drug dealer? It's better, it's better than, than selling, selling pierogies. pierogies. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. I really like the characterization in this movie because mm-hmm. I, I think it's just all Ma- based Macon on their dynamic together. Yeah, Macon's definitely the simplest mm-hmm. uh, of all of them, but I think the rest of them are kind of like secretly complex, which comes out a bit more in like the scene later on when they all take truth serum and start talking. Like um, you kind of see why they're acting the ways they are. Uh, which is like a very simple thing. Like it's mm-hmm. the Breakfast Club thing, right? right it's yeah. everyone telling their truth, sitting in a circle and telling the truths, which they, which they admit is like the sort of um, inspiration for that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the actors just like very clearly know who their characters are, and what their characters are about, and so when you get them all in a in this warehouse. Mm-hmm. And they just have to interact for an hour. Yeah, it's fun, mm-hmm. especially when the thing they're talking about because they're like characters with intricate lives. Like the the one guy's the photographer, um, and he's like struggling with his sexual identity, and it's like, right. yeah, but he's also a snooty artist. And uh, what is he going to do when they want to kill a guy sitting in the middle of this warehouse? Like right. it's just like an insane situation that they could just play with. For like for hours. Mm-hmm. No, I agree that the characters definitely have very clear ideas on what they're, uh, or the actors have very clear ideas on what their characters are supposed to be and kind of dealing with. And the truth serum scene, I, I did enjoy. I think that section is another section that slows way down because they spend like five minutes on telling puns. Mm-hmm. I was like, who is this movie for? It's like half for <laughs> you and half for fucking Austin. Like, what is the. <laughs> yeah. Austin would like it. <laughs> it like just goes, it's like, whoa, I've never been that high in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I've never gotten to that point. But like that, I felt like slowed down a little bit. But again, the truth serum part, it also, like, because that, doesn't the the chase in, like around the boxes happen like after that point? It happens before. It happens before? Yeah. Okay. And I guess like in terms of the, um, like the way that the movie's laid out, then I guess that would have to come after because I love when they're like chasing him around and he goes mm-hmm. into the room and he's like, ooh, fire extinguisher. They just picks everything oh up God. and throws yeah. it on the ground. So he looks around and okay, so Jeremy Sonier in his commentary, he mentioned that that scene he originally wrote as a spec script for a MacGyver commercial uh-huh. where it's like just a normal Joe Schmoe's getting chased around by a killer and he goes into a closet and there's like all these useful things mm-hmm. like fire extinguisher, wires, like everything. Uh, and then he doesn't know what to do and he just throws the things and it's yeah. like you need to watch more MacGyver yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah they they translated onto this and I think that's the funniest part of the whole movie oh absolutely it um, was... it's incredible physical comedy from this guy who's not even really an actor he mm-hmm. was the producer of the movie um, and they cast him kind of just because it was he looked the part yeah. and because he didn't have to say much but right. that little bit where he throws the thing, does the little like fake out run in one direction, then takes off in the other direction, mm-hmm. and everyone else is just standing in a circle, and they just don't even move because they're so just like yeah. confused by that pathetic attempt to escape. Yeah, like it's it's funny. And to go back to the truth serum scene, I think the director like what he hasn't done a comedy since, which is a shame. Because mm-hmm. I think his sense of like comedic timing is really good. Um, because most of the times you aren't even aware that something is setting up a joke. Like you're not aware that this huge long chase sequence is just kind of like a buildup to him throwing the stuff on the ground and not knowing how to get out of that situation. Yeah. And just like that, the truth serum scene, it's like kind of like overdrawn and kind of long. And you kind of forget like what's happening. Why is this going on for so long? What's the point? And then you. Because it's so long, you kind of forget that Chris is sitting back there chained up. And then he's just like, I poop my pants. <laughs> That's right. And it's just like, oh, okay. That whole long scene 
was just like a setup with a couple smaller jokes in it to get to that punchline yeah. of we've forgotten that Chris is there. And then he's just like, I poop my pants. Or even the whole fact, like the whole point about um, like Will and he's like, what do you guys say about me? Like when I leave yeah. and then later when he leaves and they're just like shitting on his painting, mm-hmm. like kind of thing. And then that causes him to just like go like completely yeah. ape shit later. Like it's so, and also like the, the, to kind of add to the clear, like first feature film school kind of thing about it is that, he kind of throws like logic out the window mm-hmm. at times. Like, you know, just when, uh, when he, when Chris is running around and then he, uh, runs into Lexi and then Lexi's like, Oh, he's over here. And she doesn't do anything about it. Or later yeah. when, uh, like, and the, the whole thing with throwing the stuff on the ground, like that's mm-hmm. just for comedy, but no one does anything later yeah. when he's on the roof, he stops to pee as he's being chased by the guy. Like that. I love so it much, was so though. funny, that's but like, so yeah, good. <laughs> but again, it like, it adds to that feeling like, cause sometimes when you, when I would be making projects or like when I would see people making projects, there would be jokes like that. And the mm-hmm. point is that of course that wouldn't actually happen. And there's no reason for that to happen other than to just be funny. Well, I mean, like, I think the thing is, is that is the thing that would actually happen. He's been tied up in a room for how many hours mm-hmm. just sitting there. He's going to have to pee yeah. when he's done. And it's kind of <laughs> like I've been listening. So the blank check podcast has been doing Robert Zemeckis going mm-hmm. through his filmography. And what they talk about so often is uh, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, their whole approach to comedy is not to write jokes, but to like make the realistic things that are happening in this scene funny just by how seriously they're being taken. Mm-hmm. So like him having to pee after being tied up for so long, it's like, yeah, obviously that's hilarious. It's something no one else would think of. Um, it's like the 24 thing. Like when does Jack Bauer piss and shit, right? <laughs> Yes, very true. So it's like kind of like a pointed jab at all these things, but it's just like this kind of real human moment of he has to pee. Like if you're full of pee, you can't run. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to like be able to run effectively. So he has to do that. And it's like this joke that also so successfully builds tension. That I was going to say like, because you, Bill is right on top of him. Yeah. And I, I love that part. No, that's funny. Yeah. And, and then also there, cause if someone, if you're chasing someone with intent to kill, and they bust out of the closet in a hero moment and then just dump a pile of things on the ground. I feel like you would be so shocked that you wouldn't do anything. Like, you'd I, just be like, seriously? I, well, I mean, I guess because, like, every, like, all of the artists, like, they're all kind of idiots. So, like, yeah. they, mm-hmm. so probably, like, yeah, in that scenario, sure. But if they were, like, you know, real, like, killers. If they were whatever, real killers, yeah, they would obviously just grab right. them. But, but yeah, since they're, since they're just, like, Mm-hmm. friends and just trying to do something like absolutely like ab- absurd. Yeah, sure. No, I, I get that. No, that and that's true. And like you said, yeah, it does build tension. And um, on that same vein, the fucking chainsaw mm-hmm. with the Old extension painless. cord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like he just always has to be finding an outlet to plug yeah. it into. And like he runs out of like, he runs out of a extension cord at points and it like pops out of the socket. Like right when he's about to kill, it's like, Everything he plays with with that is so fun. All of the deaths in this movie are just almost purely by accident, because the, yeah. uh, other than the ones that inflicted on by Will, which is I think why I was thinking Tucker and Dale when mm-hmm. I was thinking what did Macon Blair direct? Because mm-hmm. like all Tucker and Dale is is like the people accidentally killing themselves. Like the first. Like girl in the murder party eats raisins because she's allergic to preservatives <laughs> right. and then falls on a pile of mm-hmm. just big 
gears that are just laying in this yep. warehouse. And, no and then one, they have to hide her. And they like barely react to it. Yeah. Um, which I think is a good like setup for that kind of like apathy they all have towards murder. Yeah. Um, it's bizarre though. It, I mean, the whole, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the movie. I was getting like a, I don't know, it, it, I almost was getting like this punk rock kind of vibe from it. Like mm-hmm. it, no, it, it has a lot of punk rock music. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like just the, how punk rock operates in, in music. I was getting that vibe from this movie of just like clearly going against like normal s- story structure mm-hmm. and just, and the comedy is kind of very offbeat. Like all the characters are extremely idiosyncratic and it does feel, it is very against the grain and homemade. Yeah. Like a lot of like, of the classic punk rock like, like that would do and the music kind of fitting into that. But then mm-hmm. it goes into extreme gore yeah. later on and punk rock can be like that extreme sometimes. So mm-hmm. I was, and, and again, it was, it was a total you movie. Like oh. as I was watching, I was like, this definitely Love feels it. like a Sullivan kind of movie. And well, I think it's very impressive. I think um, like Jeremy Sonia's like directing chops, like really show in the fact that those like gory sequences only really happened kind of at the end. Like there's the one death at the beginning but after that, the gory stuff like kind of chills out till the end. Mm-hmm. And like I said, all the movies they made growing up, like they kind of emphasize the special effects. Yeah. Like they made a story around wanting to do special effects. So him being able to like realize that the special effects like aren't the biggest part of this, like the character interactions are actually what's the most interesting, and then just save like the gore and the special effects for like a big punch and a big effect at the end. Um, like I think that really shows like him growing up from being just a kid making movies and wanting to do the fun shit to realizing where he can use utilize the fun shit that he learned growing yeah. up. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the effects Which is fun to see. Yeah, and the effects do look good. Like for the mm-hmm. most like the I mean, just say it now, the the burned wolf mask looks uh, incredible. Looks so good. It's so good. Yeah. Like the slime coming yeah. off of it and the his like eye mm-hmm. is like all red and like protruding. Yeah. Which is like the other thing. I mean, again, that death is because I mean he's literally just been dumping like Joaquin Phoenix's mixture that he has <laughs> in the master on him, like uh-huh. all over himself, and then just lights himself on mm-hmm. fucking fire. <laughs> and yeah. and Lexi's just like, you know, oh, oh, he's burning alive. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She goes outside and she sees him and she comes back in and she's just like, Makon's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone else just like keeps doing whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And at that point, I think like Alexander's already been like drugged and his turns mm-hmm. out his name's like Tim or something like that. And the dog eats the cocaine. Yeah. And like at that point, it just becomes an all out, like just like crazy fest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Will's just doing the whole like everyone must die kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I, again, I loved the setup of just having them be, um, avant-garde artists because they bring in the the assistant at the end and all yeah, Peter, Peter Gears- calls his like assistant photography friend yeah with the lighting equipment mm-hmm. and uh you know all he cares about is just getting that photo and then he's questioning Alexander's like what do you do with our art like do you just write things down for us to say later like what's going on oh no he's like do you write words down for you to see yeah. us later because <laughs> he has all these big words written in his yeah. notebook mm-hmm. um which I guess was a thing um he kind of like let the actors like come up with their character's backstory, which I think a lot of directors do. Um, but that notebook was something that that actor, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember his name now. Probably not going to remember it. He has a funny name though. Mm-hmm. But he like 
went home and made like a couple pages of that journal just to like come up with ideas for the character because he wasn't really an actor. So he was just trying to like figure out what the heck he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jeremy Sonia thought that that was so fucking funny <laughs> that he just had him keep going. So that actor just literally filled out that whole notebook like um, Heath Ledger Joker style. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so it's like all actual just like funny notes that he took in character mm-hmm. and like lists of big words that he thought that this character would like put down for later to say. Yeah. Just a funny bit. I, I like that guy. I like Alexander a lot. I think he's mm-hmm. I, I think he's really, really funny and leans into the top dog kind of artist guy. Yeah, was 100%. Like, you're going to be like, you're all going to flock to me for my grant yeah. money. <laughs> like, Such a good character because we all know that guy. Yeah. We all fucking know that guy from college. Anyone who's been to any kind of art school, like any degree of art school, mm-hmm. any kind of communications media, there's that guy. Yeah. He's such um, a douchebag. Yeah. But he just like holds himself in a way where you're like, oh, this guy means business, but he's actually like the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, I guess really my biggest issue with the movie is the pacing just because I think that the, uh, I think it's almost like a 40, 45 minute short film that they stretch to have like an extra 40 yeah. minutes on it. Like I, it, agree. I just think that the, the highs are really engaging. Like, and mm-hmm. because I think the camera work is pretty good. Oh, I really wanted to talk about the camera work actually, if you want to get into that. Yeah, can bit. I say my one, my one other thing really no. quick? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thing, Josh? Just in the, in the truth serum scene, just like when they just bust out the N word for like no reason, just became oh, yeah. like really distracting. That was strange. And it was like, and I, again, I know context is everything, but at the same time, it just kind of took me out of it. Mm-hmm. And because that scene already goes on for a little too long, I, I don't really think that that was needed. And I think the only reason that that kind of like, like I did feel uncomfortable, but then it like talks about how it's uncomfortable that it was said. And that, again, is just like such a fucking film school conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like no, dumb, very- drunk, high film <clears throat> student people being like, well, why does it make you uncomfortable? Yeah. Like, <laughs> It suits the character. Why do we have these words, man? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so strange. And no, that that is a good point that like there are so many I saw so many films at Ithaca that would try and tackle big political topics. <laughs> and it's like you're but just a peop- fucking 20-year-old but, dumbass. And people making them were fucking douchebags. Yeah. And they were like, mm-hmm. I mean, we gotta show yeah. the, the bad thing happening, but it's not gonna actually mean anything. It's mm-hmm. like, it was like, oh my God. Like, so, and I guess in that sense, sure. But still, it's it's just, yeah, it, it was- Yeah, I mean, I told you about the deer fucking script. Oh my God. Right, from yes. my college. I think so. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, that's a can of worms for another day. But yeah. it's like, there is that, like, especially in film school, I'm assuming that thing of just like, we got to show like the dark gritty things in the world, but that's as far as their thought process goes. Like maybe they have a little bit of meaning (laughs) that they think is going behind it, but they aren't doing enough to flesh that out to make it like worthy of actually showing that thing on film, Mm -hmm. such as saying the N word. Like if you're going to do that, you got to be ready to tackle it. You got to be really ready to like take that head on. If you're going to have your character fuck a deer in their bullet hole, you got to be ready to take that on. That's a real script Mm -hmm. that happened at my college uh, in my script writing class. (laughs) We were all like, you really want, is that really what you want to talk about right now? It's a real problem plaguing our nation. (laughs) He's like, no, it's going to show how scummy he is. It's like, yeah, but maybe you could imply how scummy he is. Mm -hmm. In yeah. some other way. That's the, that's the other thing is that like when people do that, they just assume that 
the showing person it, watching is going to is know what they're thinking. Automatically but. assume that like, okay, he's, but the problem is, is that there's no turn. There's no mm-hmm. actual message embedded or like cleverness and yeah. like getting the message across. It's just, they just say the N word and then they're like, but wait, I mean, he, but then mm. he says it again and it just yeah. like, it, it's just lost. It just falls completely flat. I think otherwise <laughs> though, like they were really smart about having a, the whole thing just be like commentary on shitty art students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because that blanket just gives them so much room to just have fun. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, yeah, they can tackle so many things in a simple way by having that be the overarching thing because the problems with art students is so vast. Yeah. I'm like, I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm part of the problem, me, me baby. Me too, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, and, and yeah, it kind of opens this treasure trove of, you know, commentary there. And and like we said, I mean, it's it's all played in a in a joking way. It's all poking fun mm-hmm. at it. It's not necessarily saying that, you know, art students are this big problem when we need to change. It's like, it's just saying like, this is ridiculous yeah. kind of thing. And yeah, it's kind of just saying like, think about what you're doing and mm-hmm. think about what you're saying. Right? <clears throat> yeah. But the camera work, can we talk about yeah, the camera Yeah, we talk about the camera work. it's fun. Yeah, it's great. It's like there's so many of these super long takes where it's just a steady cam moving around to whoever's talking. Yeah. Um, and it's, it happens during the action sequences too. Like, I think like right after they kill Sky or Sky dies, gets, dies. Yeah, there's no one really gets doing killed. killing. There. <laughs> um, there's like this whole scene where they're all kind of freaking out because Alexander, not because she's dead, because Alexander's coming. Yeah, and they don't want to be embarrassed. And the camera is just like flying around the room to like everybody as this whole thing is going on as they're trying to hide the body. Um, and through the commentary, I learned that that was actually just a result of them running out of time on set. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to have the camera set up in like a normal way on tripods, like getting as much coverage as possible. But like when it got down to it, they just didn't have enough time to get that coverage. So they're just like handy cam operator or steady cam operator. You're on just mm-hmm. get everything. Yeah. And like incredible camera work because like think about how much that cameraman just had to know the script. Mm -hmm. Because he had to know, like, this person's going to say this, those people are going to say that at the other end of the room, and then I'm going to have to follow this action on the other end of the room. So he had to be ready to go from there, quick get over to the next spot, and just do this all in this take that ends up being so engaging. And that's such a good fucking sign, and this is probably why Jeremy Sonia, like, got more movies going forward, got the funding, because that proves that he has the chops to be, like, okay, we don't have the time to do it the way I want to do it. Let's do it this way. And it ends up being the complete right choice. Like, how much less engaging would this movie be if it was just set up like a normal shot, reverse shot, you know, wide shot kind of thing. He was able to take that thing that they thought was a setback and turn it into one of the strongest parts of the movie and what makes the movie like wicked engaging. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that scene in particular, like the first time when they are all kind of scrambling and it's moving like from over there to over there to over there, it it reminded me almost of that scene um, in Inception after they um, get out of the rain, like when they first go in and uh, Ken Watanabe has been shot and they're saying like, we got to, he, he'll just wake up and then they describe what oh, Limbo yeah. is. Yeah, it yeah, kind of yeah. reminds like, because of how it's like, you know, Leo's like yelling at Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like this is your responsibility and mm-hmm. then Ellen Page is like asking questions and the camera's moving like that yeah. and it is it is so fluid. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like, it's not shaky. Yeah. It, um, you know, there's a purpose and c- because it also kind of does this thing where every character has one line and they're kind of 
bouncing off each yeah. other in kind of in a sequence like that. And it's almost like Edgar Wright whip pans from like yeah. character to character. Yeah. Um, and it feels so planned out, which again is why I'm like huge props to the Steadicam operator. Mm-hmm. That must have been so tough, but it was like pulled off so well. It also reminds me of. Like and it does like effectively the same thing as that scene in Knives Out where the camera comes off the tripod when like the family is mm-hmm. chasing. Um, I can't remember the character. Anya, 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 yeah. When the family's chasing her out the door, camera comes off the tripod and starts like going all wonky. Mm-hmm. Like it serves that same purpose of like making you feel like the like the frenetic nature of this scene and like the tone shift in the movie from. Like, are they really going to kill this guy or is this just going to be like them sitting around talking about how they're going to kill them and it's going to be commentary? Like that girl dies. Camera goes to steady cam, and you're like, "Oh, I know what this is now." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the uh, and the whole chase at the end when he oh, actually so eventually good. does get free, and Williams just killing everybody. Mm-hmm. It's it is just wild. Like, yeah. and the you actually have like a pretty good sense of location for the warehouse for sure, itself yeah. because he runs off to like in the corner and then like the doors behind all the boxes and then realizes he, mm-hmm. he can't so he runs back around and then finds the conveyor belt up mm-hmm. and then he's like on uh Where's on the, the conveyor belt a fun little thing i learned was uh they were not allowed to shoot that probably like they had very sense. specific uh parameters for shooting in this warehouse that was not part of it and it was like <laughs> the end of the day and they're like line producer or whatever was like no don't shoot in that conveyor belt. We're not allowed to shoot in that conveyor belt. But uh, Jeremy Sonia was like, now we're shooting in that yeah. conveyor belt because this is like a good bit. Because it was supposed to just cut straight from him. Like he tries the door, it's locked. Um, and then it would just cut to him running through the roof. Right. Um, but they found <clears> that <throat> conveyor belt, which like served that dual po- purpose of like, we've got a funny bit now with him like sending Bill back down yeah. the, the <laughs> conveyor belt. And then he has to turn it back on to go back up. And then it also like connects that like that kind of like broken seam of being on the bottom floor of the warehouse to being up on the roofs because he's going up the conveyor belt. And that's like such a smart thing for him to just like pick up on set and know we need that. Mm. Like we need that um, for the pacing because it would have been bizarre if it just got straight to the roof and like we can make a joke out of that. Like he was just able to pick that up just by looking at that conveyor belt. It definitely feels like they weren't supposed to be there. Like yeah. when you're watching, you're like, there were like two people around when they filmed that uh-huh. and they only did it once. Yeah. Um, I love when he flips the switch to make Bill go back down and Bill's That's like, oh, I'm going to kill. All right. We'll get it. <laughs> it's so good. And like when, even when they're on the rooftops, it was fu- it was almost funny because it's like never ending. Like they're just going one the next building, the this next building, the thing. next building. And this is like another incredible way that they stretched the budget for the movie. That was all one rooftop. And every time sense. they moved from like one rooftop to another, they would just just be redressing that same rooftop with different like props and stuff to make it look like they're jumping from rooftop to rooftop. That totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes complete sense. And then like it all ends in another art show. Yep. And like the fact that, first of all, the one thing we didn't mention, the fact that everyone refers to them as dildos. Like that's oh, just yeah, an insult. Dil- yeah, dildo <laughs> is said a lot in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and just ending it in a more popular avant-garde. Isn't that, oh wait, isn't that the party that they mentioned earlier? Is that the... Oh yeah, Are there, it must be yeah. Because at the beginning of the movie, they're like, "Let's like pack this all up and go to blah blah's party," yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be. Must yeah. I feel like that was so like and yeah. Everyone's hanging out on the on the roof and and I I, honestly, I hope nobody came here to hear the plot of this movie because we've been jumping around. Yeah, like literally. Mad. You should I, just watch if you you listen to the show at this point. Watch the movie before you listen to yeah, the episode. You know, what? it's a tight like. Yeah, it goes on for too long, but it's an hour and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, 
without credits, it's an hour fifteen. Um, it's definitely worth the watch, especially if you've seen uh, Jeremy Sonia's other movies like Green Room, Blue Ruin, uh, Hold the Dark. If you liked those, it's fun to go back here and like see where he started. Mm-hmm. Um, like see just like what's it like when he was just having dumb fun at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but watch the movie because we're doing a terrible job yeah. <laughs> describing the plot. <laughs> well, but once he gets to this party, there's my favorite bit in the entire movie, which is he's running through. He's like. I need a phone. Someone get me a phone. Someone call 911. Oh and then he busts down into like the doorway to the stairwell and there's just a dude standing there staring at him uh, in a fucking cell phone costume. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Yeah. I did not remember that from my first couple of times watching this movie. That is such a solid bit. It was very, very funny. I almost like kind of saw it coming, but it was still very funny. Like it was still- Oh yeah, Josh, you fucking were like, I know where this is going. <laughs> I knew it was going to have a turn, I guess is what I mean. Like I knew there was going to be like, okay, he's going to run into something. Like something's going to happen. And then it was the guy in the cell phone. I was like, fuck yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, and the whole, I, and, but the other thing, like I, I think it makes sense that it all ends at this party in this other art showing, because I feel like, that it, it's kind of telltale. It's telltale that it's going to end that way of people coming in and seeing this display of murder and being like, oh, "Right, yeah, it's, it's very, produ- very provocative." Punchline. Yeah, but it still hits. <laughs> yeah, it still hits so hard, even though it's like, "Yeah, that's obviously where this is all leading to." Because it's also just very grotesque murder. Like <laughs> if it was one thing where like everyone was shot and you can kind of hide it, like people were mutilated with a chainsaw, <laughs> and he put a pumpkin on top of Bill's head, <laughs> and everyone was like, "Ah." Yeah. Oh, brilliant work (laughs) it's like it's obvious and you think the movie's gonna end there and then he ends up going home and the the one thing about his you know like we said his arc is very superficial like it's just it's really just okay he then because he talks about in the in the truth serum scene of how much he's just like he ruins people's days and he's very much upset with how his life is going yeah and then he takes agency at the end and you know saves himself because he's, which we didn't mention at all, uh, he does parking tickets. He's a right. traffic cop. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and we have that very funny scene where he's like, they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm a cop. And they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> he's like, I'm a traffic cop. Yeah. <laughs> I make 25 grand a year and I just yeah. ruin people's days. <laughs> but then, but the other thing was like, did they, did I miss something? Did they set up him taking pills in the beginning? They do. Yeah. They do. He takes a pill at the beginning of the movie and he like sets it down on the counter and mm-hmm. there's like an insert shot of like the pill bottle going onto the counter and stuff. I don't think it's set up very well because I don't think I noticed that until this uh, rewatch. Because well, it doesn't really do anything. It's like, okay, why is he taking pills? What are right. they for? I feel like that's uh, that's also a cliche in like a lot of movies is the throwing own, the pills. Throwing anything that you want out of your life into a river. Like mm-hmm. it's just like that, that happens all the time in yeah. movies. And I guess like that's the you know the signifier of his you know arc and moving the cat like mm-hmm. at the end is like and again it's you don't really need a character arc in this it's really just no. he escapes he lives okay that's you know we did it yeah I like that he turns the TV off at the end though like when he clicks the remote and then mm-hmm. oh it's us you know? yeah. <laughs> he's turning our movie off <laughs> uh, I've got let's see I'm gonna go through my notes here since we didn't really cover the plot too well. Uh, I fucking love the line where uh, Macon like knocks him out and right before he says, welcome to your murder. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good like money shot line for like yeah. the trailers and shit. Like I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very like campy and good. 
I also think everyone's acting skill is about on the same level. Like no one's really all I that. Disagree. Really, I think Macon is like going hard. I think he's like steps above the rest, and it like really. He's shows. giving a lot, but I mean, like everyone's ability. Everyone, like, no, I don't think everyone is really all that great, but everyone serves their purpose. I think they're impressive for amateurs, though. Yeah, like it fits the vibe thought- of the amateur film school, like kind of shoot. I thought Macon and Pete definitely stood out. Mm-hmm. Like they were very good at like the kind of like naturalistic acting type thing. Uh, the dude playing Alexander was obviously just having a blast doing full ham. Mm-hmm. Uh, the making of feature on the DVD has an interview with him, and that's just him. Oh. Like he's just like a fucking like he's just like that guy, like mm-hmm. a funny dude. Yeah, um, who's like obviously just chewing up being able to make fun of that kind of person. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, for like, because these are all amateur actors. Yeah. I think the only one that really had acting experience outside of just like this group of friends fucking around and making movies was the girl who played Lexi. Yeah, Lexi. I think she was the only one that they like hired, the only like actor, actor that they hired. Mm -hmm. And she's very good. Mm -hmm. And then, well, yeah, like Sky is just Jeremy Sonier's wife. Oh, okay. Uh, Like the drug dealer guy was, he was like, I don't remember exactly what he did, but I knew that I know that one of the things he did was like get all the locations for the movie. Okay. They just threw him in because he had the right look. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, none of them are actors, and it's like they do it. They yeah. do the job. Yeah, for sure. And because they're all playing, you know, outlandish people, mm-hmm. you can get away with a lot. Yeah, being, that's true. And I mean, Pete's the only like Pete can also get away with just being. He's a little bit more reserved than the rest of the group. He yeah, kind of, but he's so you can kind of do the mumble core, like plain speak. Kind yeah, of. kind of just like not a whole lot of energy, less energy than everybody else. But also, you can tell he's fed up with it, all of the shit yeah. and just wants the photo. Like mm-hmm. that's really it. I don't yeah. think he really like fully wanted the like the murder to p- play out or like have Alexander mm-hmm. come because he like he doesn't like Alexander. He clearly just right. hates him, and so he can get away with that. And because Makeham is so obsessed with just Lexi you know he's just a crazy single dude he's such a good actor though like have you you should watch Blue Ruin he's the main character in Blue Ruin and he's amazing in that so mm-hmm. good I th- he was in Logan Lucky wasn't he Am I thinking was he the right, at the very end I think he comes in with Hillary Swank he's the other cop is he really I think he might be because I remember he turned up in something and it like completely like blew my mind uh, oh my God, it is him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, when are we doing Logan Lucky on the show? Hopefully <laughs> soon because yeah. that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, that movie rules. You sucked my arm off. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, I was just watching How to Train Your Dragon with Heather. Classic. And spoiler alert, Hiccup loses his leg at the end of the movie and Heather turned to me and goes, it sucked his leg off. <laughs> I love Call me line. bears. <laughs> Some other things I love. Um, the when they're like, uh, Will, you ready to murder this guy? And uh, or Bill, whatever his name is, he's like, Well, I didn't sign up for a second degree assault party <laughs> after they like beat and like tied him up. I thought that was an incredible joke. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill has like has some good moments. He is, I like that he's just playing on his PSP the mm-hmm. entire time, he's almost like a child, yeah, and then uh. He's like, I'll eat anything, you know, <laughs> like when they're yeah. weighing in on like the pizza oh, debate. God, there's so many little bits in this movie. The mm. whole like food debate. Yeah. And that was another one with like an insane tracking shot with the camera. And it's just them being like Mexican. Oh, I don't like Mexican. How about Chinese? Uh, let's stay away from Asian altogether. And they're just like, Bill, Bill's like, I'll eat anything. And then at the end, they're like, let's do blank. And he's like, 
anything but that. <laughs> I think that also, and this is probably reading a little bit too into it, but like that also adds to the energy of the, the artist thing that we were talking about where no one is really commenting on anyone else's suggestion. They're only throwing in new yeah, suggestion yeah, yeah. and only speaking on what they want. Mm-hmm. And then Relatable. eventually they just end up back to where they originally were. Right, back to the pizza. Back, back to, to pizza. like the plainest option. Yeah, which literally. Is, yeah. So it like they just go in circles and then they mm-hmm. do that. I mean, they did that before with you know, with Sky's death, like just mm-hmm. figuring out like what they should do. And again, it's the it's the energy that that that's really funny. And the more you think about it, the more I I, I feel like that's kind of why the rewatch would be fun is to see how many other bits like maybe you didn't miss because because of just how strange the movie is and because everyone is so idiosyncratic and everything mm-hmm. is so specific, I feel like some things you would miss. Like you wouldn't It's necessarily- quick too. Like mm-hmm. the dialogue is very snappy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and things go by fast. Like there's a whole scene we didn't even touch on yet where Alexander comes in and he's wearing a vampire costume and Pete is also wearing a vampire costume. Oh my and he's God. just like, take your vampire shirt off. Now take your vampire pants off. <laughs> <laughs> and then like... Pete's just like down to his underwear and Alexander's just like, hmm, you're hairy. <laughs> He's wearing like a like a Speedo. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everyone's costumes are actually like pretty funny too. Like, Yeah, I mean, they are. Like fucking uh, Lexi is the girl from... Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Bill is some guy from the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And then the vampire. Sky was a cheerleader. Um, Makem was the werewolf guy, and and I think that it and, all like suits the characters too, right? Because mm-hmm. like Pete is kind of like this. He's kind of like the one who's just like, let's just get the work done, do the work, right? So yeah, he would have the most like built up costume, mm-hmm. right? And then Macon is just like kind of the schlubby guy, so he's just like mask done. That's yeah. the costume, mask, hoodie, jeans. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bill is the most crazy one because I mean, I don't think most people watching this like would instantly recognize that that's the Warriors, maybe. Yeah, but like I didn't, be- I didn't either. I mean, I haven't seen the Warriors. Don't even but, know what the Warriors is. But the, he's got the um, the face mat or the the face paint on is like mm-hmm. really crazy with the, with the black and the yellow, and then it's a baseball like outfit. Like he has such a cool look to him. Yeah, I mean, he has like he is very reserved in the keeping the crazy in. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can tell. Like when he first shows up and as the movie goes along, you're like, he's gonna burst out. You can tell like he's yeah. gonna pop. He almost has the most interesting arc of the movie. Sort of, uh, yeah. Like going from the person who's just kind of like the butt of the jokes, like the quiet one who's the butt of the jokes, mm-hmm. to just being like, fuck this. <laughs> fuck all this art bullshit. Yeah. Everyone dies. Yeah. yeah what um, is it? Yeah, fuck the scene. Everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then um, Chris is the Black Knight from, uh, from oh, yeah, uh, sure. Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Oh, is he? Well, because in the, I think I he's, thought su- he's supposed to be Lancelot. He's supposed to be Lancelot, but because the oh, helmet the kind of actually looks, looks like, like the Black gotcha, Knight. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Um, I loved Alexander's whole monologue where the ending is, and when they fill out the coroner's report, the cause of death will say art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that whole scene was like very funny. And then and everyone, genius. but then everyone claps and, uh-huh. because, and while he's saying that too, everyone around him is like, yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Like, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, and then they're really my, playing it up. Another one of my favorite lines is where Pete is like, "I, I, I could say the, uh, a, I could say a lie right now." Someone asked me a question, and someone's like, "What's your favorite color?" And he's like, "Purple." And then he's like, "Favorite color is blue." See, and, and, <laughs> and then uh, Will goes. 
purple. Well, purple's got a lot of blue in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a little shit like that. And it's kind of like mumblecore mm-hmm. Um, in a way, like a lot of the jokes, which I'm not a huge fan of mumblecore. Like I can get down with it sometimes. The movie's really good, but um, this is one of the ones. This is one of the ones I can get down with. I think also, again, just because they, they get away with a lot just because they establish it how strange like just and again they're taking themselves like not seriously at all Mm -hmm. and they're so self-aware with what they're saying that anything could anything is possible in that setting i guess Mm -hmm. so they they can get a magic trick in its own right yeah is being able to establish the tone so much that people will be like on board for the dumb shit that's to follow like that's an impressive thing to do if you can't like if you don't have that one joke or that one scene right at the beginning um, like in this movie, it's the sky dying and then like the f- hectic shit that happens afterwards. If you don't have the scene like that or you don't pull off the scene like that and like your audience just doesn't know the tone going forward, then the rest of the movie flops. Mm-hmm. But if you can establish like what you're going for, what you're trying to do that strongly right off, like at least as soon as possible, like this movie definitely doesn't do it right off the bat. Um, like, yeah, you can get away with a lot of shit, like you're saying. Absolutely, yeah. I really just like the whole sequence uh, when the Russian guy comes back and uh, Alexander's like, oh, hey, shoot Paul in the face or whatever the fuck his name is. And um, like that just kicks off that like insane sequence of events where like dude gets shot in the face, the girl with the lighting gets shot, uh, Alexander goes into the back room to like snort some coke. The dog had eaten the coke outside, so it runs over and eats the coke off his face, and now he's dying. Like, there's just an insane little series of events um, that I think is done very well, and just a very good, put, like, well put together action scene with a lot of great bits in it. So it's not just like one, to, like A to B. Like, you got a lot of fun shit going on there. Mm. Um, and but also, to, but to reiterate again, like the mask, like the prosthetic effects of the of um, make him after he is burned mm-hmm. is, is really and it is it, it's creepy. Like it, it's pretty effective. Oh yeah, and like yeah, likes you running in, making's on fire through the whole scene, yeah. and like them in the background with like the fire extinguishers running outside, putting him out, and then he comes in, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> well, like we said, analyze this is we pretty much already did it. It's it's just like a very funny like. Wait, surf- let me put the music in. Okay, we're back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it it's just pretty much like a very tongue in cheek commentary poking fun at these kind of avant-garde mm-hmm. artists. And I think that's the other thing about this movie is that it works so much better if you kind of have been in environments like this before, not necessarily in a murder party setting, obviously, but like (laughs) been around artists and gone through the filmmaking process or just like the creation process in and of itself. You're going to meet people like this. We know people like this. We're friends with people like this. And And it it hits the nail on the head because these guys, like they all made these movies together, but then they all went off to different colleges mm -hmm. after like after high school different film colleges so they all had their own like separate experiences dealing with people like this and then they came back and this is kind of like their like 
what do we get out of it? This is what we got out of the last four years, you know? Like, mm-hmm. this is the kind of shit they were dealing with, so they made a movie about what they knew. Yeah, and everyone is extremely, like, everyone almost could be in their own different movie, but yeah. it works as, like, this group dynamic because mm-hmm. the energy is just so out of whack. Yeah. But it, it it's very funny, and like I said, my only, you know, my biggest issue with it is that just the pacing of it is kind of just, like, has very high and very yeah. low points. Um, but, like, the... When it is at it at the peak, like the comedy is very mm-hmm. <laughs> very absurd and funny, um, and the 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 steady camera work really mm-hmm. um, makes it engaging. And yeah. so I, I mean, and again, as a first feature, I give them props to that, and that it's it is inspiring that uh, Jeremy Sonier went on to um, now has like a very big career, and like you said, has yeah. a, a Netflix deal. And what's inspiring, like right? Yeah, like if nothing else, it serves as like. In an ethereal sense, like obviously everyone involved wanted to just make a good movie, but it's like, in you know, like the wider scale of things, it's like this is like their proof of concept. Mm-hmm. This is them going out and saying, "Look, this is what we can do. Like this is what we did on no budget. This is what we did with no producer, with no one coming in and giving us any budget or like any oversight or anything. We just did this." Yeah, and like. Jeremy Sonia proves he knows where to put the camera. Yeah. He knows how to move the camera. He knows like what to tell actors to get them to do what he wants, especially inexperienced actors, which is another feat in and of itself. Um, it proves Macon Blair is an actor. It proves I know the guy who plays like the Russian gangster has gone on to do a bunch of TV shows and stuff. Like it proves that they've got acting chops. It <laughs> proves that the producers involved had producing chops. And I know a lot of the people who did like the camera work and a lot of behind the scenes stuff went on to have successful careers in their like specific parts of the industry. So this is just such a good proof of concept movie mm-hmm. of like, this is what these people can do. And it's very inspiring. Yeah. That's like to just go out and do something, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. If and you want to prove you can do it, there's no better way than to just do it. Yeah. To like and the first feature really like kind of gives you the bug and you can tell, like we said before, they had a lot of fun making it and it, it does establish his voice. Like, I mean, it took him for sure. Cause it does have those moments of hyper violence. Mm-hmm. It does have like moments of like, uh, like the, it has like that little bit of commentary there. Like, I don't think his movies are too heavy on commentary. It's mostly just like observing mm-hmm. real life and doing it in a way that's like cinematic and entertaining, which this movie does in like a comedy direction. Later on, he takes it into like a more thriller direction. Um, but I think like, that was just him honing his voice and realizing what he was like really good at. I would love to see him come back and do some more comedy though. Yeah. I think he has, there's a market for his kind of comedy now, but we got another kind of like comedy thriller with the same like violence and like, uh, I, I don't feel at home in this world anymore Mm -hmm. with making blade directing. So I I love to see where all these guys have gone (laughs) from here. It's incredible. And it's super inspiring. Mm -hmm. All right, let's end on uh, this question. How does this movie capture the spirit of Halloween? Because there, it's a very, it's not like a paranormal kind of uh, kind of horror movie. There's not like a monster. There's mm-hmm. not one signature killer kind of thing. Uh, how does how is the Halloween spirit captured in this movie for you? Okay, well, first of all. I think the beginning of the movie uh, is just very relatable Mm -hmm. (laughs) of going to the movie store, just renting some scary movies. Like 
if you're on Halloween uh, alone on Halloween, that's sad. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I've been there, like just with my stack of mo- movies and my bowl of candy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like the opening sequence has got that vibe, like just the shots of the autumny town, small town, like it's got the vibe. Uh, like you said, the idea of just like a party of people coming together, like even though this isn't your typical party, yeah, um, it does like have that sense of like friends. Weirdly enough, friends coming together. Uh, for a party, I don't know. Can I add to that? Add to that, please, because I'm a little out of loss for words. Here. I really like that. I think it adds to the fact that everyone stays in costume, safe for Peter or mm. Paul, whatever the mm-hmm. fuck his name is. Um, because I mean, everyone is playing a recognizable character. Like, I mean, obviously, like we said, Lexi being Pris from Blade Runner. I mean, that's already an established character, an iconic look, mm-hmm. but her kind of rundown or like homemade version of that becomes yeah. her character look and like makes yeah. like is signature to her character. The costumes are definitely a huge part of it. And the different le- like just like this movie isn't really about Halloween. Yeah. But it does like do a lot of Halloween things. Like the different levels of people's like care and attention put into their costumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. feels good and feels realistic. Like even just between uh Peter Paul and Mary and um Alexander, like the difference in their vampire costumes. Um, like we've all seen that person who comes in all intense with their three hundred dollar Halloween costume. Mm-hmm. Then you're just standing there with your cardboard box night outfit. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely like that about it. Um, I, th- I think also it's just the <clears throat> again, like the idea that there's it's all happening in one night. Like time just feels so mm, contense. There that it con- is. That's the one. Because mm-hmm. I'm I was trying to distill because the movie just feels like Halloween, and that's probably it. Like the fact that it just takes place over the course of a couple hours on a single night. Like that's a very Halloween vibe. Cause like when you're a kid, it's like, what's Halloween? It's going out and trick-or-treating. You have this like couple hour window yeah. where like the night is just yours. Yeah. Um, your parents aren't gonna be looking over your shoulder. You can just run around town with your friends. All the other kids are out on the streets as well. Um, and like this movie does have that vibe of like, here's a couple hours where these crazy art students are just doing whatever they want with no supervision. And yeah. even if it's fucked up, um, it, it's that same vibe. Yeah. Cause the holiday doesn't really start until the sun goes down. That's a fact. Isn't it just <laughs> yeah. Halloween isn't Halloween until it's nighttime. And the whole movie, like it just feels dark. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's taking place late at night. This warehouse just is desolate. It's just far away from everything else mm-hmm. and you feel, you know, kind of um, not lost but It goes like, back to that thing I was like, he's in a room full of people but it's people with masks, people in costumes so he's like surrounded by people probably for one of the first Halloweens in a long time he's with people Yeah, but it's like he's also so alone mm-hmm. at the same time and because like, they want to murder him Yeah, and then everyone else is at that other party you know mm-hmm. like it almost feels like they weren't invited to that party yeah. and then they end up you know they end up back over there um, and yeah I mean it's just just the energy of having like everyone everyone together and I love how different everyone's costumes are and yeah the, like it's just a couple hours that mm-hmm. they're together and yeah. these people are you know I don't know. Like, I, I just, I really like how condensed it feels too. Set your movie or TV show on a holiday and you automatically get like 50 points. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Happy. Absolutely. The TV show Happy. How lame would that show be if it wasn't set at Christmas? I wouldn't be lame. I'm sure it'd be fine. <laughs> but, like, you throw a holiday into a mix of any genre 
like anything, any movie, any TV show, any music video, and you just automatically have this aesthetic to start out like with a baseline. Like this movie, it's their first movie. So it's like if they just tried to set this at any point, they would automatically lose that baseline aesthetic mm-hmm. and baseline vibe that they can always just like resort back to when need be, you know? Like it's just a good um it's a good like sort of like through line that you can mm-hmm. just have throughout your movie that you can always come back to. Um so like even if like you can't really say anything or you're a dumbass mm-hmm. and you have like like you don't know what to do, it's like you have something to hold on to and you have something people can relate to, which is I'm just rambling now. <laughs> well, like, try to imagine this movie if it wasn't Halloween. Like, that's what, what if, I'm saying. Well, yeah. like, what if it was, you know, what, what if, if it was, was a Tuesday in the middle of fucking June? Yeah, exactly. It like, wouldn't work. Like, everyone would just probably be wearing black. And, like, if the movie mm-hmm. just went through the same motions, like, it would just be very bland. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't really, there wouldn't be anything like extra, like, there wouldn't be a whole lot of extra flavor. Like, maybe the jokes would still land, mm-hmm. but, like, it still just feels kind of generic. Yeah. But with Halloween, it gives this kind of, flair to it mm-hmm. that I, I appreciate. Fuck yeah. Halloween, baby! Halloween! Here what? it comes! <laughs> Welcome to Hollow Thanks, Miss Everybody. Get ready for our new series. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this very first episode of our brand new series, Hollow Thanks, Miss. A title that we didn't just come up with <laughs> three seconds ago after two months of saying we were going to come up with a better title. We had so many working titles, but this was the one that we... We had so much time to come up with a better title. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. But hey, we're sticking with it. It's still fun. So we are doing three Halloween episodes uh, this month. You have Murder Party this week. In two weeks, you got Beetlejuice. And then on Halloween, we're going to do an episode about the movie Halloween, of course. Yeah. In uh, November, we're doing three Thanksgiving movies. We're talking about Scent of a Woman first. Then we're doing The Ice Storm, and then we're ending on Thanksgiving with Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I can't wait for that one because I haven't even heard of the first two movies. Oh, really? Scent of a Woman? Really? No. Nope. That was the movie. I've I w- smelled a woman before, oh. <laughs> but I've never heard of the movie. It's uh, the movie that Al Pacino won his Oscar for. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even know he had one. Yeah. And then uh, in December, we're doing It's a Wonderful Life, Elf, and Christmas with the Cranks, it's going to be... A, not in that order. Not in that order, sorry. <laughs> We're not, the finale of this series is not going to yeah. be Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> We're ending on It's a Wonderful Life. I don't remember what the order for the I other... Think, I think it's Elf first, then Christmas with the Cranks, and then Wonderful Life. Okay. I believe. Well, in these three months of holiday cheer, we're trying to figure out um, how the spirit of each holiday is captured on screen. And I think that the lineup that we have is going to breed some awesome conversation. I'll say breed. <laughs> okay. That's not the energy we need. <laughs> it's going to bring about there some we go. fantastic conversations. We have some great guests for you, some new ones, some old ones. I'm very excited about the guests. Yeah. It's going to it's going to be fantastic. And so just be on the lookout in 2 weeks we're going to be talking about Beetlejuice with my old friend um Abilt, uh, Alberto from uh from Los Angeles who I met while I was interning at Partisan. Uh, it's a movie that's very near and dear to our hearts. So be on the lookout for that in 2 weeks. And as always, I'm Josh Wall and frankly, I love movies. Nailed it.